We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Matthew chapter 21, as today we study what's called Palm Sunday. Have you guys heard that before? Palm Sunday. And you're like, hey, aren't you supposed to have Palm Sundays? You know, the, the, the leaves, you know, to give out. And um, we don't have those. Um, maybe next year. Somebody make a notation next year. Uh, what the Catholic Church does is they take the palms and they burn them and then they use them for the ashes the following year. Uh, we don't have to do that. Um, but we're going to see, like in John chapter 12, it mentions the palms and what that symbolizes. Actually, in John 12, verse 13, it says they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him. Because we're going to see Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley. And then he goes into Jerusalem and he rides on the donkey. And it's an amazing, amazing prophecy regarding the fact that Christ presents himself to us as the king. Because look what we read in Matthew 21. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Here we see the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. Uh, we call this uh, Palm Sunday. And I don't know if you can visualize it. I actually went on YouTube and uh, I was, uh, there was this guy on there who actually uh, rides a motorcycle uh, through this same place, they say, where Jesus descended there from the Mount of Olives. He actually went up. And so I'm praying that one day somebody will do a video just going down the Mount of Olives. You know, Jesus comes to this place now, and, uh, you know, it's an amazing day, uh, Palm Sunday. We're going to see as we go through our study today, man, this is, this is epic. This is uh, central. This is ginormous. This is absolutely amazing. This day. When Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. You know, when you look at this right here, we're going to see that Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem. They come, it's about two and a half miles away. 
And he sends a couple of his disciples into the next village and he says, hey, can you bring me uh, my transportation for the journey? And so they go and, you know, he tells them everything that's going to happen. If anyone says this to you, you know, they lose the animal. And when they do so, the owner questions them. Hey, what are you doing? You know, and they respond would simply be, hey, the Lord has need of them. Just like Jesus says here. And, you know, before we get into it, uh, I think it's important to note a couple of things here. Isn't it interesting to you that Jesus would have to borrow a donkey? I mean, that would be like you not having a car. Anyone here? No, I won't make you raise your hand. But you're like, I ain't got no wheels, man. You know, I don't got a donkey. I don't have a mode of transportation. You know, Jesus didn't have that. He had to borrow that. And we're going to see, actually, Jesus in life, he didn't have a whole lot. Um, Later, when it was time to teach about money, we're going to see Jesus had to borrow a coin. He didn't have a coin. He had to borrow it. Earlier, when it was time to teach the multitudes, he had to borrow a boat. A couple of times when he fed the people, he had to borrow a lunch. Jesus didn't have a whole lot of things. You know, later when he died, he had to borrow a grave. You know, it's interesting. My, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, they already bought their plots. They bought their, where they're going to be buried. And that can be expensive, right? You know, and it's probably a good idea, you know, to do that if you can. You don't want to lay that burden necessarily upon your children or at least have life insurance of some sort. And it's good, you know, if you, if you have the finances, but Jesus didn't. He didn't have enough to, you know, borrow a boat or maybe even to, you know, get some lunch or anywhere even the Bible says to lay his head. You know, a lot of us here, we're working so hard. We're working double time. We're working triple time. Why? Because we want to have a house. Well, that's cool. I mean, I think it's good. And even you can maybe pass it on to your children. But don't let that be the epicenter of your life. That's not the great dream that you should pursue. That was not the dream of Christ. His desire was only to follow the Lord, to follow his father. And so he had nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have a donkey. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said in Luke nine fifty seven and 58, you know, when this guy said, hey, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, okay, well, let me tell you what's going on here. Foxes have their holes and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so um, he traveled light. And we see that here, just as a quick side note, how he had to borrow the donkey Another interesting thing that we see right here is the way Jesus was able to see into the next town. He saw where the colt was. He knew its geography. He knew its history, how no one had ever ridden it, according to Luke 19.30. And so he would be the first one to break in the donkey, right? Because he was the majesty over all creation. And he knew what they would say. He knew what they would ask. He knew what their response should be. We read that here in verse 3. And, you know, when you read all that, I think it might be good to know just how Jesus knows everything. And it's comforting, man, to to just walk with him and to get your marching orders from the one who knows everything. You're like worried about tomorrow, right? You're worried about whatever is ahead. And I want you to know that you don't have to be afraid of the future. You might not know the future, But you know the one who knows the future. You know Christ. 
And he will tell you everything. He will tell you all the details. He knows all that. He makes all his decisions based on all those things. And he will tell you what they're going to say. He's going to tell you what you should say. God will give you all that you need to know. And you're going to find one day when it's all said and done. And, you know, to me, the primary thing is to be reading the Bible because that's where I get my, my marching orders from. The primary thing is that at the end of the day, one day when we're going to be in heaven, you know, do you ever think about that? You know, one day maybe I'll be able to sit down with you and we're going to be able to talk and I could sit down with Jerry or I could sit down with Patrick or whoever it is and one day we can be there. And you know what? We're going to have conversations and you know what we're going to say? We're going to say, wow, not one word failed. Just like right here, it's like, wow. Lord says, go into the next village, um, you know, get my coal. If they ask you about it, just say, hey, the Lord has need of it. You're going to find it there. No one's ever written on it. And so they go and just like Jesus said, one day we'll be home. Or who knows, maybe we'll be old one day. Maybe we'll be walking like with the walkers like this. Hey, Jerry. <laughs> Just like Jesus said. You can take his word to the bank, right? So Jesus borrows his transportation. And even there, you might wonder why. Why didn't he walk? You know, was he tired? I don't think Jesus was tired. I have a feeling that Jesus, unlike us, was in very good physical shape. And there's a lot of reasons to believe that. Um, Number one, because he walked everywhere. But number two, because he didn't die so early. When he got beaten, when he got scourged, most men would die. Jesus didn't die yet. And I know there's more to it than that, but I think there might be an element of just the physical strength that this man had. You know, to be able to just, you guys have seen the passion of the Christ and, you know, to know that he went through something worse than that. And so why did he want a donkey? I mean, couldn't he just walk? I mean, was he getting tired? You know, what's the, brought where his ankles swollen? I mean, you know, I can't make it the next couple of miles. And, and of course, we know right here it says why. Look at verse 4. It says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt the foal of a donkey. See, he had to get the donkey. Primary reason was, we're going to see, it was a fulfillment of prophecy, and it was an offering of peace and salvation to the people. That's why it had to be a donkey. 500 years earlier in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, the Bible says this, and this is what he quotes from in Matthew right here, chapter 21, verse 5, that, you know, the king would come. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Check it out. Behold, your king is coming. How is he coming? On a white stallion? How is he coming? On a chariot? How is your king coming to you? And he says right there, lowly. He's going to have salvation. He's, he's coming lowly. He's riding on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. And you see, this would be the sign to them. This would be the sign of the Savior. It had been determined 500 years before for all of them to see. And, and not only is it a sign we're going to look at even more detail later, but it was also, I think, a display of humility. You know, that 
Jesus would come and he would offer this humble expression of peace. You know, it's interesting, the Hebrew word translated lowly right here in verse 5, it refers to someone who is meek and mild, and it describes someone with a gentleness of spirit. And this is how Jesus presents himself to us today. You know, he comes, he's meek, he's mild, he's gentle, he's lowly, he's humble, and he comes to you, and he says, hey, I know you, I know your name, I know what you're going through in life, I know the struggles you have, I know the doubts you have, I know all the crazy things that have happened to you in your past and that are going to happen to you in your future. I know everything about you, the Lord says. And I'm just coming to you as God, you know, the maker and maintainer of everything. And I'm going to come to you in a very humble way, in a very meek way. And that's how the Lord comes. As a matter of fact, if you go, maybe Mark right here, just go back to Matthew chapter 11. Look what Jesus said in verse 28. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, if you're here today and you're restless, if you're here today and you're worried or you're anxious or you're frustrated, if you're here today and you don't have the peace that you should have for this path that you're on, you want to know why? It's because you, you haven't come to Jesus. You haven't gone to the Lord, man. You don't have peace. You don't have rest. It's not about a religion and you can't blame it on the church. You need to go to Jesus. Jesus says, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. I'm gentle, I'm lowly, I'm meek, I'm mild. And I will give you rest for your souls. How many of you here like taking naps? Isn't it cool? Some of you here don't probably. When you get old like me, you're going to like taking naps again, man. (laughs) You know, and it's just, um, you know, I'm not saying that is a spiritual complacency or anything like that. All I'm saying is that you know like last night, I'll be honest with you, I went to bed at a decent hour. I went to bed, check this out, at 8.30. <laughs> That's crazy, huh? Normally I go to bed like at 11.30, you know? But see, going to bed early and then I'm able to, to wake up early, I, I just, I feel it. I, I feel like a peace, maybe even too restful. My wife will sometimes say, hey, you better start yelling because you seem too relaxed up there, you know? <laughs> And you know, if I'm sorry, if you want to go to sleep, go ahead. Go ahead and take a nap. I understand how that is. No hard feelings, although we are filming you. Um, <laughs> we'll put it on YouTube eventually. But you know what? It's, it's cool. You know, you're God's people. You're God's workmanship. You're, God's going to work in you, not, not me. I trust him. I believe in him. I have rest in my soul because I know who he is. And I have come to him. See, my prayer is that we would know how the Lord is and and who the Lord is. As he comes in humility, let there be, you know, that we appreciate that. But let there also be that that we emulate that. That we are a humble people. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, we need to have that type of heart. 
You know, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and it's a sign for all of us to see. It's a picture of peace. You know, for the Jews, whenever a king rode in on a donkey, it was a ride, it was a time, it was a period of peace. If you read 1 Kings chapter 1, when David chose the next king in order to make his will publicly known, he had his son Solomon ride through town. The Bible says in 1 Kings one thirty three on a donkey, and that meant that, you know, that he was coming in peace. And that's why Jesus came. Let me tell you something here today. You know, if you don't know the Lord, if you're not a Christian, and you think that you're going to go to heaven because you're a good person, you have bought the biggest lie there is. You will not get into heaven because you're a good person. I mean, I'm not saying go and be a bad person or anything. All I'm saying is this. Humble yourself to know that you are not good enough to go to heaven on your own. You have sinned against God. And because you have sinned against a holy God, you are, the Bible says, at enmity with him. There is no peace between you and him. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, in Romans three sixteen and 17, it says that destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. But later it says in Romans 5.1 that God justifies us by faith. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, here's where we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came on a donkey. Why? Because he came offering peace. You know, we're enemies of God because of our sins against God. I don't know about you, you know, but how many of you here, you want to be God's enemy? I mean, when you go toe-to-toe, and I don't care who you are, you can be Pacquiao or whoever you are, man. You go toe-to-toe with God, you will not win. If you are God's enemy, you will not win. Now, God doesn't want it that way. And so what does he do? He offers peace. How? Through Jesus. All you got to do is believe. Is that so hard? Turn from your sins and receive the Lord. You know, you want to make sure you know the Lord. I was talking to my kids on the way over here, you know, about this this, this um, bus crash. Um, and, you know, I don't want to scare them, not necessarily. I'm not, I told them, you know, how they, they didn't think they were going to die. I mean, here's, you've got these young people with bright futures, good kids, on their way to, you know, a, a brighter future, opportunities before them. You know, and they didn't know, and we don't know all the details, but there was some type of... Uh, fire in the FedEx truck. There was no skid marks. You know, uh, it traveled over the divider 54 feet. That's like 20 yards. And they would have never known that in an instant they were they were going to die. You know, and I was telling my kids about that, uh, you know, just just talking about life and about the urgency that we have to make sure that we're right with God and others are right with God. And I was just telling him about that. You know, we don't know you guys. You know, are you sure that you're a Christian? Are you sure that when you die and you step out of time and into eternity, that you are not headed for hell? It's up to you where you want to go. You know, um, I always tell people, you know, the objective truth is to believe in the gospel. How do I go to heaven? Well, you repent of your sins and you receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Just got to be willing to let go of the sins, the pornography. You know, be willing to let go of the sins. You know, the 
adultery, the sexual sin, whatever it might be, you know, the lies, the cheating, you know, the drugs, the drinking, those things that are not good for you. All you got to do is be willing to let go of them. I'm not saying you can do it on your own strength because you can't. But if you're like, Lord, help me, I want to get rid of it. And I want to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's a simple prayer. Lord, come into my life. And you receive him. You know, you can be saved. But then when you get saved, there's an inner assurance. The Holy Spirit, it bears witness. He bears witness that we're children of God. Do you have that? Have you ever received the Lord? And do you have a peace inside of you, the voice of God inside of you, saying that you're a child of God? But not only is there an inner witness, there's also an outer witness. Your life will change. Because you guys know this, a lot of people believe that they're Christians. I'm a Christian. How do you know? I'm an American. I remember going in, you know, Missouri, and we witnessed to the people there in Joplin, Missouri. Hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a, how, how do you know you're a Christian? I'm a Baptist, right? How do you know you're a Christian? Are you sure? Has your life changed? Is there an inner witness? Is there an outer witness? Have you let go of your sins and received Christ as Lord and Savior? I'm not telling you that to bum you out. I'm telling you that because I love you and because God loves you. And today can be the day of salvation because, you know, if you can visualize this, Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley, if you can visualize him, you know, and there's three million people there. Josephus says there was 256,000 lambs that were sacrificed that Friday. I mean, just all these people there. If you can visualize him coming down, he's coming to you. And you got to make a choice because on the Sunday before the Passover, they would always make the choice regarding their lamb. Is this the lamb? Which lamb do we choose? And that's what you have to do as well. I mean, it's real simple. We're not talking about, okay, from this day forward, I'm going to go to Calvary Chapel, Almani. I'm not talking about that. If you don't want to come here, that's fine. You know, you might just be visiting. That's cool. You may go somewhere else. That's fine. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a church. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is coming to you, riding humbly and peacefully on a donkey to you. And you have to make a choice whether or not you will follow Christ. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. And when you do, you will have a peace with God, which then should lead, as we grow in the Lord, to a peace of God. You know, those of you who are Christians, and I know you got a lot going on, and you're worried, well, what is he going to think of me? What's the pastor going to think of me? You know what? Who cares? You just follow the Lord. You follow the Lord. and Because if, if, you, if you're worried about what other people are going to think about you, you're never going to have a peace. But if all you're concerned about is to follow the Lord, then you're going to have peace as you follow Him. Right? And that's all you need to do, you guys. And He'll take care of you. And maybe you're hurting physically. I was talking to one guy today, and he's looking at 186 days in prison, actually in county jail, and that's not as bad, 186 days. You know, but it was so cool to talk to him, and he said, you know, 
because he's a brand new believer. Um, he was looking at his third strike. Now it's 186 days. And I was just talking to him because he got saved probably about a month ago. And, uh, and he was just telling me, it's okay. He said, if God wants me to go and spend 186 days in county jail, I'm sure there's a good reason for that. And whatever it is that you're facing in life, whatever the challenges are, did you know that there's a good reason for that? You know, I remember when I used to work at Vaughn's and I had a knucklehead for a boss. Um, Don't tell him I told you that. I'll give you his email address afterwards. But, um, (laughs) you know, I just remember those days and and I was fighting it. I was kicking against the goats until finally one day the Lord just said, Manny, your life is in my hands. And God gave me a peace that surpasses understanding. And I go through things with my kids, and I go through things with my wife, and I go through things in the church. That'll never end. You know, if you're like waiting, oh, I can't wait until there's nothing happening, you know, for that peace. Oh, man, you're going to be waiting a long time. You've got to learn to take all your troubles, and you've got to be like Job, who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. A peace. He comes and he offers peace. Jesus said that he would give us a peace. See, I want to tell you this about Jesus coming. And you know, it's interesting when you look at Jesus coming, what you find is that Jesus came and he presented himself as the king. You know, it's real interesting. Up to this point in his ministry, Jesus never purposely drew attention to himself. He never openly presented himself as the Messiah to the public. You know, in Matthew 8, 4, when he healed a a leper, uh, he said, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody, right? In Mark chapter 7, verse 36, after he healed a man who was a deaf mute, he said, don't tell anyone. You know, he commanded him, see that you tell no one. Don't tell anybody. In Mark chapter 9, verse 9, after they saw Jesus in his glory, and imagine how that was, just his clothes whiter than white, whiter than the snow, his face shone like the sun. He said, don't tell anybody, right? Don't tell anybody until after the Son of Man has risen from the dead. In Sassariah Philippi, when Peter came straight out and identified him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, he told Peter, and he says in Mark chapter 8, verse 30, He strictly warned them that they should tell no one. Don't tell anyone about me. And so imagine that. You're doing all these miracles. Jesus, I mean, haven't you come for us to believe in you? Why would you not want to tell everyone? And of course we know the answer is because there was this day that he was going to make things official. Up to this point, Jesus never drew attention to himself, but now what he does is he makes plans and he makes preparations for a public presentation. He purposely, openly, publicly reveals who he is now on this day. His time had now come. This was the day. And this was the way that he would have to reveal himself. And so what we find is that the people, man, they bring their clothes and they put them on the donkey and they put them on the road and they lay down branches. It's kind of rolling out the royal red carpet for him according to John chapter 12, verse 3. And we read here in verse 10 that the whole city was moved and they're asking, who is this guy? Some of the guys didn't know, right? And the answer was, this is the prophet, the one from Nazareth of Galilee. Deuteronomy 18 predicted, Moses said, one day the Lord's going to raise up a prophet like me. You better listen to him. If not, you're going to die. 
And so many people there, they'd be packing, camping on the side of the road. And here we see what they say here in Matthew 19. Or Matthew 21. Or Matthew 22. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Matthew 19. I mean, it's so cool when you read, you know, what they were doing. And they were saying in verse 9, The multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What's that? Well, what it is is a proclamation from Psalm 118. And, you know, Psalm 118, I want to encourage you to read that chapter It's been said that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, but Psalm 118 is the loudest chapter in the Bible. And here, when you read it, you guys are going to see it's all about salvation, and it's all about Jesus. And not only that, it's all about this day. Do you guys remember that song? I don't know how many of you here remember that song we used to sing a long time ago, This is the Day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, I will rejoice, and be glad in it. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much for doing that. You know, and we sing that song, This is the day that the Lord has made, and we sing it, and we're so, like, we sing it every day, every day, because every day is the day that the Lord has made in a roundabout sense, but in a theological framework within the biblical context, that song is supposed to be sung on this day. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice in this day and be glad in it. When God came, when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came and presented himself, he offered himself to the people and he said, would you be willing to believe and receive in me so that you might be saved? When he came, this is the day that the Lord has made. And we're going to see, it's amazing how this day was prophesied in the Bible. Psalm 118 is an amazing psalm that um, brings us back even to Daniel. And let's go to Daniel 9, because you guys got to follow me on this. I know you're you're already thinking about other things, double-doubles and (laughs) things like that, you know. But you got to, especially, I know some of you here are familiar with this, but if you're not familiar, please follow this, because this is very important in prophecy, in, you know, just looking at the way that the Bible is able to predict the future. A lot of people say, well, how do you know the Bible is God's word? Well, because 25% of it is prophetic. It tells the future. It tells the future about Israel. It's already done that. Over 300 prophecies regarding the first coming of Christ. I mean, it's like no other book. But this prophecy right here is amazing. Because what it is, is the 70 weeks of Daniel, when Daniel was, uh, you know, praying, Lord, I think it's time. You know, I read the book of Jeremiah. I think maybe the 70, you know, years are up. And as he's praying, Gabriel comes and gives him a message from God. And this is what he says in Daniel 9 and verse 24. He says, 70 weeks are determined for your people. And so he's speaking to Daniel, your people would be the Jews, Israel. 70 weeks, 
Literally in the Hebrew language is 70 sevens. So 70 weeks is, we're going to see, is 77 year periods. Determined for your holy people, for your holy city, that's Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And so that right there is a summary of everything. When this world is done, we're talking about heaven. We're talking about, man, the new Jerusalem. We're talking about the summary there. It's so amazing, right? It's 70 weeks. But he gets some details in verse 25. He tells Daniel this, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem... Until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And so, what he does here is he identifies a day. He identifies a specific day. And he says um, that on the day they issued the command to restore and build Jerusalem, and you go back to March 14th, 445 B.C., right, when Artaxerxes issued the command that they might return, rebuild Jerusalem, real simple. You calculate 69 seven-year periods according to the Jewish calendar, real simple, something that Sir Robert Anderson did in his book. You can read it still today. It's available in print if you want to research how he came up with his figures, real simple. And then what you do is you count 173,880 days from March 14th to 445 B.C., and you count it, what do you, what do you end up with? April 6th, 32 A.D., the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so some people, they doubt, they doubt. It's because you are suppressing the truth. Jesus has made it clear. God has made it clear. He is real and he is alive. And what we find, this day was a day that had been prophesied. You know, the Lord deals in seven, seven days, right? In a week, uh, seven notes on a scale. Uh, Snow White had her seven dwarfs, right? All the sevens, right? No, seriously, throughout the Bible, you're going to see all the sevens, right? Here's something interesting. Not only does he deal in sevens, but he deals in seven seventies, like 490-year periods. For example, from Abraham to the Exodus is 490 years. From the Exodus to the temple is 490 years. From the temple to the Edict of Artaxerxes is 490 years. And then from the Edict of Artaxerxes to the coming of Christ is 490 years. And so we know exactly what's going on as we study the scriptures and that's why, uh, let's go over to Psalm 118. And look at verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Who's that? Jesus. We know that. That's quoted throughout the New Testament, right? This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And then he says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. And then the very next verse, save now, I pray, O Lord. What is that in the Hebrew language? Hosanna. That's what they were quoting. 
That's what they were saying. Save now, I pray, O Lord. I pray, send prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, later on in verse 27, he talks about binding the sacrifice. And Jesus was going to die on the cross for our sins. You see, this is the day, right? That's why if you go over to Luke chapter 19, and we'll close with this. Something else happened on this day. Not only um, do we see Jesus coming in humility, coming peacefully, we see not only Jesus coming, but Jesus caring. Because look what it says in verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this And here it is. If you can circle those words, your day. There it is again. Your day. He's talking about that day from March 14, 445 B.C. 69 sevens, 173,880 days later where Jesus would ride into the donkey. That's why he said, go get me the donkey. I need to ride in. Don't tell anybody yet. Don't tell anybody yet. Don't tell anybody yet. Don't tell anybody yet. Okay, now we can shout it. This is the day. See, they they ignored that day. You know, and my heart my heart is is here, you guys, because I thank God for those of you who do know the Lord. I'm so grateful to God, but my heart goes out to anyone here who doesn't really know the Lord. This is your day. You might not have another day. You know, look what Jesus says right here. He wept over them. He says, but now they are hidden from your eyes. I mean, you're like, well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next year. I'll do it when, I hear, when, I'm, when I'm old, you know, when I turn, you know, 36, something like that. <laughs> I'm still a young whippersnapper right now, man. I got to sow my wild oats. Man, none of that's good for you, right? None of that's good for you. Because if you don't accept the Lord now, the Bible says that your heart gets hard. Today's the day of salvation, man. Because he tells them right here, but now they're hidden from your eyes for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon the other because you did not know the time of your visitation. You see, the Lord cares, the Lord cries, the Lord weeps. It's not like God is up there, you know, rejoicing in the death of the wicked. Absolutely not. You know, please understand that God cares and God cries for you. God loves you so much. And when he saw what was happening to Jerusalem, how they were rejecting him, he saw the future of that city. And he saw how in 70 A.D., the Romans would come and surround the city and for 143 days besiege it. Nothing would go in. No one would go in. Nothing would come out. No one would come out. And then at the end of that siege, how a hundred, I mean, one million Jews died and all those who survived were then enslaved. And they went on to destroy the temple and to destroy Jerusalem. And so what happened? Jesus wept. And if I could just close with that today, as we enter into Passion Week and Holy Week and you know, as we head towards Easter Sunday, man, I pray that you would know that it's not a religion. It really isn't. 
It's a relationship between you and God. And my prayer is that if you find yourself apart from him, separate from him, you're not really committed, you're not really surrendered, my prayer is that today would be that day that you give your life to Christ. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And uh, there's so much here, Lord. Jesus, I thank you for humility. I thank you for um, the way that you offer us peace as your people. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for me. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage my brothers and sisters here today as we partake of communion together as we stop and we reflect on what you did on that cross and even as we search our own hearts Lord let there not be a single person here today even a believer who who makes some type of a false assumption like they're like you know so right on help us to be open to the truth that, that maybe we're not Help us to search our hearts. And Lord, if there's anything, anything that doesn't belong in me, Lord, I pray now, just take it out. I want to be right before you. And I pray that for everyone here today. I love you. I pray in Jesus' name.